0: Welcome to episode two hundred and thirty six of stageworthy. I'm your host Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theater featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. My guest this week is Carly Heffernan. So how are you doing are you uh, are you getting by all right? you know I don't know about you, but I started really strong in this social distancing thing, but now I'm Starting to struggle a bit. I'm starting to miss hanging out with friends or meeting for coffee or just seeing people. Or going out for a meal or seeing people. And it's starting to really get to me. But then I remind myself that this is so important and that it's necessary for our health. But, you know, that doesn't change the fact that as the weather gets warmer, I'm wishing that I could go out and and do things. And it's starting to hit home that we are going to have a summer without the Fringe or without SummerWorks or without the Dreamin' High Park and so many things that make living in Toronto and other places in Canada so livable and so wonderful and so magical, which is why when we start being able to go out and meet each other again, I suppose that the most important thing for us to do is to to greet each other warmly and to smile and to embrace and to be thankful that we made it through and the next year will be epic. You know, A while back, I had the producers of the Play Me podcast, Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley, as guests. That's way back in episode 113 for those who are looking for it. Now, Play Me from CBC Podcast is proud to present a new series. The show must go on featuring exciting productions from some of Canada's top creators, including Hannah Moscovich, Drew Hayden Taylor, David Yee, Chloe Hung, and Anna Chatterton. Each month, enjoy a new show from the comfort of your own home. The theaters have closed, but the show will go on. You can subscribe to Play Me wherever you get your podcasts. If you've been listening to Stageworthy for a while, or maybe you're a first-time listener and you're listening through a link on the website, did you know that you can subscribe so that you never miss an episode? You can do that by searching for Stageworthy on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or, you know, wherever you get your podcasts, and clicking on the handy subscribe button so that every week the latest episode of Stageworthy will be delivered right to you. And if you subscribe, let me know that you're a new subscriber. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is philrickaby.com. And you can find Stageworthy really on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, really and the website where you can find the archive of all 236 episodes is at StageworthyPodcast.com. As I mentioned, my guest this week is Carly Heffernan. Carly is the creative director at Toronto's Second City. We talked about how Second City has moved online in this time of social distancing, including all of their classes, and how Second City is presenting an online show several times a week called Second City House Party. Here's our conversation. So I was just asking like how you're doing. So and you responded that you're doing great, which I think you're the only person that I've spoken to since this started who said great.
1: I I made a real sort of promise or maybe more of a deal with the devil and myself uh, when this started. uh, I I said I was going to try not just survive, but thrive. And I think I'm doing a pretty good job, Phil, to be honest.
0: Okay, okay. So you're going to, I mean, you're going to have to give us a little bit of, of, of like, how?
1: I was, <laughs> how are you?
0: are you doing that
1: I know and all of it's legal that's what I'll start with I promise you um in a legal way but honestly I've I've used the time so far to do to do a number of different things you know and and not big bucket list things but but sort of medium of the road bucket list things Phil um Mm. I've I've been trying to get in better shape um humble brag I've lost 20 pounds since we went into quarantine (laughs)
0: Oh, wow. I know, right? I, I might have gained that much. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, listen, sometimes people find what other people lose. That's just how this, the lost and found works. <laughs> this is
0: true. This is true.
1: But it's shocking the difference Oh, it's like a mirror really reflecting yourself hardcore once you go into quarantine. Um, just the amount that I used to, and and who knows, probably will go back to as soon as uh, the economies reopen up, uh, but the amount that I eat out at restaurants and fast food and drive-through, um, and I've just cut all that out. Uh, and we do have a lovely dog, a nine-year-old mix here in the house, and I've been walking mm-hmm. Him uh, more regularly than I usually do. Um, uh, I walk him at least twice a day now, and it's made a huge difference.
0: I mean, having a dog to walk does does help because you oh, yeah. can sort of lose yourself in the dog's exuberance about everything.
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, he, there are a number of silver linings to this quarantine that we've all been living in. And and one is the pets are living their absolute best lives. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. That's nine years of separation anxiety training just down the toilet, Phil. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh,
0: yes, yes. I heard somebody say that, that when this starts to end, we're going to have to retrain our dogs to like be able to exist without us
1: a hundred percent well literally it's just that my dog now believes this is the way it was always meant to be he was right the whole time this is a superior way of existing family together 24 mm. 7 more walks more belly rubs more, chew, more <laughs> everything. he's living in excess he, he feels like a king i swear to god
0: I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does, and and in among all that, one still has to get some work done.
1: Oh yes, absolutely, we have to. And I mean, I'm sharing the home with my husband, and we're both working pretty full time. And it is amazing how I mean, I always had a home office, and and now I don't. Phil, my husband has completely taken over the home office, and the rest of the house is my office. And. Mm. I'm, I that's just a curious sort of little bit of aftermath of all this.
0: That's interesting how that happened, that you had the office and then it was it was commandeered.
1: Yeah, I think he works better with um, thick, thick blinders on. Mm. <laughs> it's a narrow uh, something to help him narrow his focus where, you know, this natural woman's intuition, multitasking. Ah, I can do it from anywhere. Really can.
0: It's interesting because uh, as somebody who, who, for my day job, I would go into an office every day. Um, it, it has been a learning process, learning how to work from home, which is something that I always avoided. I always I'd done it a couple of times and knew that I did not do it well. And now I have no choice. So it's like, what, what are the tr- things that I can do to trick myself into being able to work from home? And I start by putting on shoes. And I get it dressed, and I put on shoes every day.
1: Oh, 100%. I'm wearing shoes right now, Phil. Huge spoiler alert. I mean, they're Vans, but they're still shoes.
0: That's the thing.
1: (laughs) You couldn't be more right. I remember, I remember, um, I'm a Queens grad, go Gales, and I remember taking, oh gosh, some sort of like learning seminar at queens i think it was an extracurricular type of jam and it and it it genuinely said that you should create spaces in your home uh, that are not at all associated with work or at that point you know studying sort of these relaxation and safe spaces and <laughs> You weren't supposed to associate work with it, you know? The bedroom was for relaxing and for sleep and other fun stuff that university kids are up to. Um, But now, now I've had to throw that. And it always worked well for me. Mm. I don't work in the home. I either go to the office. I work at Second City, so I go to Second City. Or, you know, I do what 99% of screenwriters do. And I go to the local Starbucks and I use their Wi-Fi for seven hours while I write one (laughs) scene for one. (laughs) And, and now they're all out the window. The dining room table is my office. The living room is my office. The basement sometimes is my office. They've uh, the blinds have blurred.
0: Yeah, I do think that there's something about like uh, uh, saying that you should have a space in your in your living area that is work free. If you're a work from home person, and many artists are, assumes that you have the space for that.
1: I know, right? We uh, have we read the Washington Post. Um, a recent article that was like, you know what? Here's a tip: go to your guest room and pretend. Oh my god! Was, her, was like, who's got a guest room? We're all in Toronto.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I, you know, I just upgraded about a year ago from a bachelor, yeah. so that's I still don't have a lot of space. So, lo, well, let me go to the guest corner of my bachelor.
1: Oh, 100. Most of us can stand in the middle of our home and see. The entirety of the home—you can see all of the rooms that exist in the home—and and and they're usually divided up just by like an IKEA bookcase or something. So I thought, woo, things must be nice in Washington.
0: Absolutely. Now you mentioned that you're—you know—you're working uh, at, at Second City, and and I wanted to talk about how Second City is dealing with you know this everything.
1: Yeah well well absolutely I mean the majority of our business is still um live in person shows that is that mm. is Absolutely what uh, the bread and butter of Second City uh, was before uh, coronavirus and, and I fully believe we'll go back to after it, but we have made a massive shift to online programming, online learning. Our training center was the first to go fully online and that was a really natural and seamless shift. They, they were already looking into, before coronavirus, having more online offerings because we've got our training centers in Los Angeles in Chicago and uh, Toronto, but there's people all over the world that want to learn from the second city and in the second city style. So that was sort of already in the works. It just had to fast track, uh, fast track exponentially. So uh, to be honest, that was really natural. And I, I have been teaching online and I've got to say, this is another one of the silver linings. Before this pandemic, rarely does my schedule ever allow me to teach. It's actually been quite a few years since I've had time to teach. Um, and as soon as this kind of hit, I thought, "Oh my gosh, I think I, I think I could squeeze a couple classes in." And so I immediately signed myself up um, for the the classes that I was looking to teach: uh, premise generation, helping people develop ideas for sketches because a lot of us do have this extra downtime. What a great time to write, to get together those writing packages, to write your first pilot, to just work that writing muscle. And I've got to say it, they have been fantastic. The feedback has been amazing. It's as you it's exactly as you said about putting shoes on To make it feel more like I'm going to work. Well, having something scheduled that you know that you've got to, you've got to, you know, hopefully put a comb through your hair and put at least the top half of you at least needs to be dressed properly. And you know that you're going to go and you're going to interact with other human beings. I mean, it becomes a highlight for people. It really does.
0: Now, one of the things that because way back when I was uh, at, at a very serious theater school, it was all important that we would be in the room. There would be no talk about, and, and I can imagine that later on, as time went on, that we would talk about as, as you know, video conferencing got better, it would be unthinkable that you could do an acting class online, but now we don't, we don't have that option. So I wonder, how, what does an improv class look like when you've moved it online, when you no longer have the in-the-room, face-to-face, breathing-with-each-other thing going on?
1: Oh, well, it's, it's actually amazing, you know, because what it feels like is it feels like a different medium. All of a sudden, you're improvising for TV and film. So things become a little bit more real. Things become a little bit more subtle. Things become a little bit more nuanced. And when you're doing that, you can actually connect deeper and you can connect more fully. Um, here's a really interesting thing that, that I have found since we've been improvising online. It's way better for some people. Some people come to us at Second City because hey, somebody at the office said they were funny, or they just got a love for comedy. They, you know, grew up on Monty Python or SNL or SCTV, mm. and they want to try it out. But they don't have years of theater training, as you say. They didn't go to a serious theater school like us, and they didn't mm. the diaphragm, and they didn't train the body how to move on stage and know upstage from downstage and stage left and house right. They don't know all that. But if you're telling them just to react honestly to their computer camera, well, they can do it.
0: Hmm. hmm. And and I guess that that's that's sort of been a barrier when somebody comes from a non-theater background. When they uh, when like you say, some their workers said they're funny. They should take classes, and they show up, and they've never done it before. Um, have do people often in that situation? come with a lot of stage right or they come in with confidence and then they get stage right or how do yeah. what how do people come to to the classes
1: oh always All oh, it's so funny in, in the <laughs> all shades of the rainbow is how they come for sure at all ends of that spectrum you've got some people that are coming in just absolutely full of, of gusto and and to be honest you have to crank it down a little bit <laughs> it's a you're like whoa the energy is a little bit too much for the stage for the classroom. Mm. Just for the whole world, um, and then and then the exact opposite is what you can find as well. Um, I think that the most common is is yeah the sort of like mean and um, the sort of median. Wow, I really don't know math terms. Why I don't know why I tried to pull that out of my back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> the most common would be a little bit of nervousness. But then as you get that first laugh and you have your first laugh, enjoying what someone else is doing, it really starts to fall away quickly.
0: Hmm. Hmm. And so what kind of classes, uh, have moved, have like, I guess everything has moved online. So, um, if somebody was thinking, "Oh, I guess there's no chance for taking any classes at second city right now has the whole, have all the classes completely moved online?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. There are and there are so many interesting classes. You can take a class online with Second City right now in improv. You can take it in musical improv. You can take writing. You can take stand up. You can take public speaking and you can take a whole plethora of new classes that have been tailored just to this online existence that we're all in. I'm actually currently teaching a class right now called Let's Make a Show Online, which is all about creating sketch comedy that is specifically meant to be performed live on a Zoom platform on an mm. online streaming platform that's so cool we've never done that before
0: and uh, i as as some you know if we've never done that before i'm curious like how how do you put together a class like that if if it's something that hasn't really been done are you learning on the go or oh, 100%. or
1: a hundred percent. I've got the benefit that I've been working on our. We've got an online series of improv shows called Improv House Party, and we perform Tuesday nights. Oh, we perform tonight. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> <laughs> Literally like, oh, got a show tonight. Um, that's our girls' night in show, and then on Saturdays we have improv house party. This is short form improv uh, mixed with some pre-taped bits that we'll uh, and segments. Sometimes it'll feel a bit like late night mixed with improv, and we've been doing that now for about three weeks, almost a month now. It's been amazing. We're still doing exactly what we were doing in the theater, which is so unique to Second City is that you know breaking up the fourth wall, connecting with the audience, and letting them actually shape and participate in the show. Yeah, it's absolutely trial and error. But what we have found now, we're in a bit of a groove. Humble brag. Um, <laughs> the audience the audience is having a wonderful time in our chat feature. That's where they're giving us uh, their suggestions, which we're taking and incorporating into our scenes. That's where they're giving us their ha-ha-has, their LOLs, uh, all their energy, which is fantastic. And then we've also been able to bring people up, as we say now, you know, in the theater, it's, hey, we're going to bring you up on stage. Now it's, hey, we're going to bring you up on screen. And just last week we had an amazing mother and daughter who were watching the show from Columbia and we brought them up on screen and they participated in the scene with us. It was absolutely fantastic. And to be honest, something that would not have happened uh, if we were live in our theater here in Toronto.
0: True. True. Now, when all of this broke, when Mm -hmm. everything, when the toilet paper hit the fan, so to speak, (laughs) and uh, everybody freaked out and everything got shut down, there were a lot of questions about like how do we move forward and, and, and what happens, how long did it take second city to decide how it was going to approach this?
1: Oh, that's a great question because it, it honestly felt quite quick and I was doing, I was sort of working on two projects. So I was also on a, a TV set um, while this was sort of breaking and we were really looking at the, trying to really look at the data and really trying to be honest, to look at what what was our government telling us to do? And it was only about, I think we closed our theater, I think one or two days before um, Trudeau came out and said, okay, we're, you know, this is a, uh, this is a state of emergency. The border is going to close. And um, Doug Ford came and said, okay, Ontario is in a state of emergency because they had kind of just been, Oh, just leaning towards it. Oh, here's a new recommendation. Maybe no more groups of uh, 500. Okay, well now no more groups of 250. And we're like, okay, okay, we've got it. Safety has to be first and foremost. And To be honest, I think I was in the theater for our last show, and because the audience dictates as well, you can see ticket sales go back. People looking, hey, maybe can I can I move my ticket? I'd like to come see the show in another couple weeks when this is all blown over. Yeah, we know. And so the house sizes started to get smaller and smaller, and that and that was a great sign as to okay, well, the public is not feeling safe. Um, Let's let's definitely take a hiatus here at the very least. But I do remember being in the theater for our last show, and you know, in Toronto we're a theater that sits about 300, and there were probably only about 70 or so people in the theater that night, and that was a Saturday night, so it's very, very rare, and everyone was spaced out, so everyone was feeling safe, And, and I do have to be honest, it was this really incredible energy, because... Everybody felt like they needed to laugh. Like as soon as the show started, Mm. all the nervousness went away. All the fear went away. And it was just this beautiful comedic catharsis of everybody sharing in just some moments of lightness and levity. uh, Because that is what we turn to a lot of the time in times of crisis is we're looking for comedy. We're looking for a way to laugh at what is going on, to laugh it off, really.
0: Well, at the time that this this all started, wasn't like toronto sketch fest yeah it, like, going
1: I, they thought like they finished that festival right under the wire because
0: <laughs> right. i remember going to see a couple of a couple of performances down at to the theater center and we were already people were already sort of like doing that like eyeing each other and trying right. to spread out and, mm-hmm. and it was very awkward and strange
1: Yeah, and and I totally agree with you. And it's like you could feel that tension. I remember being at the theater. I also remember being on set, and we um we were on set shooting. And on Friday, we had wrapped at one location. We said, you know, great. Oh, this was wonderful. See everybody on Monday. We'll be in our new location. That's going to be so exciting. And one of one of the crew members went to hug me, and I had a little knee jerk reaction where I was like, oh. I don't, I don't think we should hug right now. And they're like, Oh, sorry. Yes, of course. But, but I think I was being a little overcautious at the time. At least I felt like I was. And then by Monday, I mean, we were not shooting yeah. <laughs> all the production. Things went quickly that weekend.
0: Yeah. I work, I work uh, in my day job in the events industry and our company had, had instructed us if we're going to an event or we're meeting with a client, we are not handshaking Do yeah. the elbow bump or the foot shake. The foot tap, do the foot tap. I didn't even feel comfortable with the elbow tap. I was like, let's do the foot tap. But like (laughs) that was, we started that about maybe a week and a half before everything shut down. And even then, it was kind of like half joking and also half like, let's be careful because nobody knew anything oh,
1: oh and i agree and and when you're in you're probably you know you probably still had a spectrum of people with that spectrum of opinions some people saying like no we really have to take this seriously i've been watching what's happening in europe right now and i've and, and then you probably also had the people that are way on that other end of the spectrum that are like this is absolute bs this is all going to be over as soon as the weekend is done come on and and i'm i think i always land somewhere kind of in the middle yeah <laughs> just kind of want to be that medium the foot i'm not gonna to lie to you i've never heard of anybody doing the foot tap and i think i'd fall over to be honest i think that's even more dangerous for me
0: well, i don't know it depends on your balance but i kind of like the foot tap just keep your hands in your pocket and tap one foot just uh just to 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 to, to shake hands but i you know the problem with the elbow is we cough into those
1: oh 100 percent. and then we're
0: tapping those <laughs> anyway i mean for the events industry, it was very much like you might have been feeling like it's no big deal, but as soon as events start getting canceled
1: yeah you start
0: you have to take it seriously
1: well one hundred percent and as a, as an artist you know I mean everybody and you could see it it was all over social media. Mm-hmm. As everybody's gigs started to get canceled, you know, ooh, I was going to do a show over here. The stand-ups were like, oh, I was going to do a show here. People who had um, plays that were coming up and they runs a place that just started getting canceled, 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 and it just started to get further and further out. And then everyone thought, ooh, okay, this is yeah, this is far more serious than maybe we uh, initially uh, thought.
0: Yeah, and I was watching. You know, you've got your friends who are you know they, maybe they don't have a show, but mm-hmm. you know they had one coming up and they work in a restaurant. Well, now. Now that's gone, too. And so, like, it's a tough time for everybody um, to try to make things, make things work. Um, now, you can answer this or not, but uh, Second City is able to uh, continue paying their, their employees and their performers uh, for, for the work they're doing.
1: We, yeah, our faculty is all completely paid still, and a lot of our performances, what we're actually doing is basically, um, we're kind of performing in this really interesting and odd space where it is very experimentational, um, and so we're kind of, you know, living in that that really fun honorarium zone, um, which, mm. is, you know, which feels very natural uh, for improvisers. A lot of us are, this is unfortunately used to getting uh, paid in beer and pizza, so, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we also... I want to be very mindful that um that anything that the company offers doesn't you know um, exclude anyone from what the government is offering too
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: that's kind of something that we have to watch uh, to be honest before what i found so much from our performers is yeah listen we, we can all use a little bit of scratch right now for sure but it is genuinely the performing and performing with other with other improvisers with other comedians that is the highlight of it that, that that is truly what makes it worth it the thing i hear the most after we do a show is uh, thank you so much cuz for 45 minutes i really forgot that we were in a crisis i really mm. forget i really escaped
0: that's pretty awesome yeah um it's interesting because talking with you about the way that second city is doing its classes and its shows is very different from hearing about how um, people are trying to do their theater mm-hmm. online. Um, Cause theater in itself requires a room with an audience and things like that. And it's hard to translate that to a zoom conference, especially when we haven't been writing for zoom.
1: And, and I mean, so we're so lucky because we're improvisers and, and what do you do in improv is you literally, you make it up and mm-hmm. you, And you change it based on what the audience is saying, based on what the world is saying. We're also a house of satire. So our whole job when we are creating our sketch comedy reviews is to look at the world around us and reflect it up onto the stage. Well, now we're looking at the world around us and reflecting it up onto the screen. Mm. Um, So for us, it feels very natural. You, You really have to, I believe. I think even if we, if we were doing Shakespeare, honestly, even if somebody said, okay, Carly, you've got to put this fabulous, uh, King Lear's got to go on Zoom. <laughs> I go, okay, okay. Um, you have to reimagine it. You
2: actually yeah. have
1: to reimagine it. It cannot be, it, you cannot think that you're just pointing a camera at a stage with stage actors. That's not the medium anymore. So you've got to shift and you've got to reimagine and sh- and shape it to suit the new medium that we're in.
0: Mm hmm. Um, Now, we've talked a little bit about how Toronto is dealing with all of this, but there are other Second City um, uh, uh, companies. Are, Are they doing the same as Toronto?
1: Absolutely. They are. Um, So we have Chicago, which is another one of our resident stage second cities. It's also the home. It's the birthplace of it. Um, And then Los Angeles is primarily a training center. The Mm. Los Angeles is doing a really cool improv show um, uh, online as well. Thursdays at two o'clock Eastern, one o'clock Central, which means that's 11 a.m. Pacific. I'm learning about time zone. Wow. Very fun for me. It's called the really awesome improv show. And it is um, our TYA show. This is a show that is for families and it's really, really fun. And to be honest, this show is free. So I know that a lot of parents are having a hard time out there right now. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever Mm -hmm. thought they were going to spend this much time with their kids. In fact, amazing. Um, Canadian actor and comedian, Jonathan Torrance, very early on tweeted that when he became a father, so when he first became a father, everyone told him, it's going to go by so fast. You really have to cherish it, Jonathan. Like, it's going to go by so fast. And he just said, well, none of them ever anticipated this. (laughs) So if you feel like you need an hour-long break where you can pop your kid in front of the computer or in front of the TV and have them do, honestly, interactive improv, which is so great for their imagination. Um, It's completely interactive, so they can uh, pop their suggestions into the chat. Again, they can be brought up on screen, too, Mm. asking the kids to do a lot of the really fun activities that they themselves are doing on screen. This is a fabulous way to hopefully... (laughs) hopefully give parents a bit of a break
0: mm, indeed especially around 11 o'clock as they're starting to get into that hangry for lunch zone
1: that's right i'm not a parent so i was like i don't understand a child's schedule i really don't have <laughs> I'm barely awake by 11 a.m get mm. out of <laughs> and i will say that's been a really cool thing actually just bringing up chicago los angeles and toronto for a lot of these online shows, uh, the Girls' Night In show in particular, we're working with our cast members, all, um, all of the cast members that we have been working with on that show so far have all been alumna of a show that we do live called She the People. And mm. so that cast has been done in Toronto. I'm oh, sorry, rather, that show has been done in Toronto, in Chicago, in Washington, D.C., in Boston. And so we have cast members who join us every Tuesday night from all over the place. Mm. and all of a sudden we've got these amazing international casts and they're so happy to meet each other and so happy to improvise with each other it's again it's one of the silver linings um, that i've been able to find in all of this
0: mm. that's amazing now if we could i would like to talk about your journey to coming to second city what you you mentioned yeah. going to Going to Queens, did you intend to be uh, uh, directing improv shows or to be involved with improv when you went to theater school?
1: Absolutely not. I wasn't an insane person. Come on, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) I had applied to a teacher's college for UBC and fully intended to be an English teacher. Which is a nice, which is good. And thank you to all our teachers who are teaching online these days. Mm. Um, But um, I genuinely, I ended up... um, with I was, <laughs> I was at Queens for political studies for one hot year, and then I was a constituency assistant for an MPP and I was like, whoa, this is this is brutal, I don't like this, um, but I always had a love for politics, um, so I kind of switched over to English language and lit and drama um, <laughs> it was, um, natural out of politics um, and and I really did fully intend on going to teachers' college because I, I I just thought, you know. a a career in the arts seemed like such a dream to me Uh, I was a little bit from more of that um that that way of thinking of like well there's uh, there's only one Meryl Streep and she's already out there but I had a (laughs) professor who encouraged me to try uh to try acting to be honest and so I thought well geez I okay I'll go and I'll I'll try it in Toronto for a year and I kind of I was so lucky. I was doing a show at the Terragon and we went to Second City as like a bonding night. I saw the show. It was the first, uh, first time I had ever been to a Second City show. Uh, and I loved it. And I immediately mm. went home and went online and saw that they were having auditions for their conservatory program. Uh, I auditioned. I got in. And then immediately after uh, conservatory, I, I got hired to the touring company. Uh, it was all very whirlwind, <laughs> to be honest. It, it worked out very, very well for me. I'm very lucky.
0: I want to, there's a, a few things I want to unpack there. First, first question is, um, so you went, you, you had an eye for politics mm-hmm. at first You're, that was going to be your career. At What time did you decide on politics and had you been doing theater before that?
1: I had, yes, absolutely. I had, I had a pretty good singing voice, to be honest, um, from a very early age. So you, what you do with a kid that can sing is you shove them into musical theater immediately. <laughs> So I had done so much musical theater in elementary school and high school. Um, Was never, was never a dancer though. So, so knew that I wasn't going to be Broadway. Um, And then once I got to Queens, I found a, a couple of shows there's so much self-producing and student producing at Queens. Honestly, it's a great program to be a huge plug for Queens University right here. Um, but it is, it's a great program. Um, that gets you, that gets you really used to what it's like to actually come and try and be an artist, uh, in a city and, and self-produce. There's a show there called Queens players and it's pretty raucous. It does involve some drinking, but to be honest, it's basically sketch comedy, And it was the first time I had ever done anything that was even remotely close to sketch comedy. And Mm. I loved it. I still didn't even know what to call it though. At the time I was like, yeah, I guess this is kind of like Saturday night live, but it's on stage and there's more drinking or less drinking, depending on what era of Saturday night live you're watching.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But I still didn't think that there was a career there. You know, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot. And I do hope we remedy this to be honest. Um, You don't learn comedy as an art form in when you're growing up. And, and even then, even with the higher art forms with, with music and with dance and with theater, there's still kind of thought to be these long shot career paths. And then comedy is mm. the black sheep of them all. So yeah. It just hadn't crossed my mind. And it wasn't really, honestly, it wasn't until I saw proper professional sketch comedy in a theater with beautiful lights and talented performers that I thought, oh, my gosh, it can be a job. It really mm. can Uh, And I just followed it. I just followed it so hard after I saw it. I was hooked instantly.
0: So when you were, when you, when you, before all of that, when you were looking at, at at politics, did somebody say you should go into politics? What made you think that politics was going to be the thing you wanted to do? Oh
1: my gosh. Well, hilariously. Oh man, who's going to hear this? But here we go. Um, (laughs) Um my father is very political. Um okay. but we have very opposite political opinions. And so uh, we're pr- we're pretty much inver- inversions of each other to be honest politically speaking. Um and so that that was really inspiring um to to kind of maybe in, in in a combative sort of way to be honest. Um all of the mind of course, all of the mind in terms of combativeness. Um so I, I was also pretty wide-eyed, uh, like most youngsters. I really wanted to make a difference. I knew the things that I was passionate about, um, equality. I, I, so it was all it was all that idealism that I really wanted to explore. And then, honestly, once you get into the practicals of politics and and seeing what our municipal politicians and provincial politicians do on a daily basis, ooh, it can be ooh, it's difficult. Oh, it's very very hard work. I'll mm. say that very very difficult and there's you know what there really is only i believe there's two fields in which you will never ever please everyone and one of them is the arts and the other one is politics so i still chose a difficult field where you're still going to make some people upset but the really interesting thing for me about starting in politics and wanting to be a politician when i and listen we all want to be the first elected female prime minister of canada we all do i'll tell you all us young gals <laughs> we're like Kim, mm. Kim, there but i want to elected. i want to get elected and for sure um that's a dream for a lot of young Canadian women for sure. Um, The beautiful thing about Second City, it's comedy, absolutely, it's satire. It's satire is extremely political. It is, um, you know, capital P political, it is socio-political, it's identity politics, it's all in there. That theater company took all the things that I had liked growing up, politics, drama, English, because you write and you improvise and create your own material for the stage, It genuinely combined them all. It's, I can't believe how well it worked out. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And, and at some point after that, you know, when you were, when you were looking at, you decided that politics was not your thing. So you went into theater, which is great. Did anybody try to dissuade you from that at the time?
1: No, you know what? very lucky actually about that. There's only one thing that my dad, (laughs) My dad once said to me, every once in a while he would bring this up, okay, well, I was very young, I was in high school in Belleville, Ontario, and I was on a radio interview because I was in The Crucible. That's the play we were doing, like every twin mm. 13 or 14-year-old wants to do The Crucible, <laughs> Arthur Miller, love it. And so I was being interviewed, and they asked me, they were like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I swear, I panicked and I just thought, oh, you got to sound smart. And I said, pediatrician. (laughs) pediatrician. Never, never once did it cross my mind, but my father heard it. And every once in a while he'd go, I thought you wanted to be a pediatrician.
0: Oh my God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He would have been so proud if I was a doctor. Oh, it's so funny.
0: (laughs) Um, When you first came to Second City, what was your, I mean, you saw your first live improv show. What was what did you know about Second City at the time that you went there?
1: Okay, here's my other one fun story, is that I really didn't know too much. I knew about SCTV, um, and I knew the really, really famous alums. I knew the Katherine O'Hara's, mm-hmm. and, and from um, Chicago Second City, you know, you know the Tina Fey's, uh, the Steve Carell's, the, the Keegan-Michael Key's. So I knew, I knew the biggies, um, the broad strokes of it. I had also, while I was at Queens, we were doing a project in which we had to sort of model uh, a hypothetical theater company after a real theater company. And so we were supposed to connect with a producer or someone in, maybe a GM at a at a, at a, a professional theater company. And we were supposed to model that, get information from them in, for our project. And I had reached out to Second City and no one ever got back to me. Oh my (laughs) and I told my executive producer about that years and years later which was very funny he was like I don't think I ever got an email and I was like yeah probably not I literally probably sent it to like a spam email I didn't know I was 20 years old I didn't know anything
0: yeah what would you know what would you know about that
1: possibly know about who to contact about your annual budgets for your sketch comedy theater. I
0: <laughs>
1: but those weren't the big things. I knew the famous alum and I knew that they had not written back to me. So I really had both ends of the spectrum, a little yin and yang. <laughs> you know,
0: I remember when I started theater school in Toronto and uh, one of the, or w- within my first year, I remember, cause I, you know, I grew up watching second City, watching SCTV and, and seeing those, those greats. And so I, and occasionally on the news, somebody would talk about the, the old fire hall. And mm-hmm. so I, I was in the, at, in, at theater school at the time that the old fire hall was still a second city venue. And I remember going there and I remember I saw some afternoon improv and I just, I remember going there and it sort of felt like going to church for a second. I think because I had grown up with, with, with that and, 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 and knowing that all oh, the old fire hall was where they all came from. And so it did feel a little bit like like going to church, and like there was a certain reverence that that I had going there,
1: oh yes, a hundred percent it feels sacred, right, and you you know at at most of our theaters um you can you can still go back into the green rooms and mm. you can see you know what's sort of called you just literally call it the wall, and that's what it is. Mm. And it's signed by all the alum or special guests who then came and saw the show and they just write these amazing messages and sometimes they're super inspiring and sometimes they're just funny and sometimes you're like, I have no idea what that means. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it's the amount of talent that has walked through those buildings and been on those stages is Mm. unheard of. I mean, it's a Mecca. Come on, it's a comedy Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's always interesting when you would when you would hear about somebody going from Second City to something like SNL, yeah, right. for example, like a Mike Myers and all of the people that came before that who who went from Second City, Toronto. And I always I think because I'm Canadian, I always notice the people who went from Second City, Toronto to SNL. Um, and, and, and that's sort of like the oh, that's the path. You think yeah. that's that's how it goes is you go. You start there and you go there
1: oh yeah i mean we're always so proud of our canadian talent um i i i'm so proud of canadians who have gone um and just been on the second city chicago main stage um because that in itself is a very few select amount of people uh lauren ash who uh Shockley is from the same town as me we, we're both mm. in belleville, Ontario. just so weird um hold, she,
0: on, hold on i need to stop for a second you're from belleville yeah i'm from belleville
1: no you're not you're from belleville
0: I spent the first 10 years of my life in Belleville. My dad taught at the Sir James Whitney School to the Deaf for the first 10 years of my life. So...
1: I went to Albert yeah. College, which is right by... Which is right oh, by- shit, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. That's funny. <laughs> what a small world. I know, right? <laughs> Laura Nash is also from Belleville, and she... She did, um, she was in, she was in Facebook Reloaded as the first uh, main stage review that I ever saw at Second City mm. in that review. And I was like, wow, she is so talented. And then she went on to do Chicago, Second City. She did a couple main mm-hmm. stages there. Now she's on NBC Superstore. She's a big famous celebrity. I mm. love Belleville.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, now, as we continue into the social distancing Uh, a situation that we're in and theaters around the country are sort of announcing how they're dealing with it with, for example, is Stratford canceling their season and Marvish productions announcing that they would not be starting their season until January Uh, and things like that. How, what does this mean for second city is, is, are you, are, are you going to find ways to put your, your mainstay shows uh, online in in some way, or, or what do you think that looks like as this stretches b- for a long time before we can reopen our theaters
1: yeah, one hundred percent i mean we 're very much living in that zone right now um, and and the number one priority has to be the safety it really does It has to be the safety of the public and the safety of our performers, so that is you know the driving force behind all the decisions that we will make. However, we also do want to create satire about what's happening right now. And so there might be some sort of hybrid way where there's, some sort of live aspect there's some sort of pre-recorded aspect to these shows you know we're seeing what SNL is doing at home that's all pre-recorded and edited but we still want to have that magical aspect of Second City which Mm. is that it's happening live in the moment and that we're incorporating the audience into it so I can see a bit of a hybrid to be honest that's where that's where my gut tells me that we're leaning so far and then and then you know, even when we do, even when the restrictions come off, I think that that hybrid might continue in a way in terms of how we consume this medium. I think we might find the safe ways to come back into our theaters, but also try and maintain this online audience and online presence that we're that we're cultivating right now hmm. um. Hmm. Because there has been something really special about having international viewers at all these shows, having people tuning in from Brazil and Colombia and England, New Zealand, from from genuinely everywhere uh, across the globe. That's been really cool. And so, if we can kind of keep all the positives from the experience that we're in right now, mash it together with the positives of what we love, where we came from, and, and genuinely create something new and innovative,
0: mm. that'd be the best.
1: Mm. Way to
0: do it. Yeah, that'd be pretty amazing. I always think I think because we always want this to be over, right? You know, uh, all of us who are stuck at home and there's no theater and all of this sort of stuff, we would like it to be over. And then I start thinking about um, when we start thinking about reopening our theaters, when do we know that our audience is ready to come back?
1: Well, a hundred percent. They have to tell us. And, and, and everyone is unique. You know what I mean? Some individuals are going to take a longer time to feel comfortable in the theater again. And, yeah. and others are just chomping at the bit. Sure. <laughs> Some of them are protesting um, in front of yeah. um, Queens Park.
0: <laughs> yes. They want their, they want their haircuts. Um, I'm sure it's
1: theater that they're after. Satirical.
0: Oh, if only it was, if only it was. Um there is that, that idea, though, if you move too quickly, there used to be a time when a cough in the audience yeah. would not incite panic.
1: Well, exactly. Well, it would in the performers because they, <laughs> they we're not doing a good job tonight. Yes,
0: yes, yes. yes. But, you yeah. know, an audience would not panic because they heard somebody cough. Yeah. At the current moment, if we were to open too soon, there would be certainly uh, a lot of panic a hundred from that
1: it has to be cautious. It has to follow the science. It has to follow the recommendations of the people who have the most information. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And something interesting too, that again, in sort of trying to cultivate what this hybrid is between these online shows and and being live back in the space, you know, for, there is absolutely a, a majority, not a majority, what am I talking about? But, but a, a solid, um, you know, portion of our, our population across the world where there is no going back to normal either for mobility issues, mm. or for underlying health concerns. Where yeah. they're consuming their theater, they're consuming their art, always uh, in this online fashion. And, mm. and that's another great silver lining that we all have to step our game up right now. And we want to make sure that we're providing the best possible entertainment online for people. That this is the normal. That's that's mm. important to us at Second City.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was I was uh, reading a little bit about um, the 1918 flu yeah. and how you know, although we it never quit like this, but we you know things were shut down <laughs> and the theaters were shut down and the movie theaters were shut down and eventually they did come back. So I sort of take solace in the fact that we've shut the theaters for a pandemic before, yeah, and reopened them and they started to thrive eventually.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I'm 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 full of optimism. I <laughs> I start I started this interview off great, and I'm yes. doing it great, Phil. Um, I think we will come back, and I think I think we'll come back. I think we'll come back stronger, and again, more innovative. Mm. I think We will all learn from this. Uh, we we have to. There's no other way to go through times of crises, uh, but to learn from it. So I think I think that we are going to come back with. A renewed this is gonna be so interesting. Yeah, we're gonna be a little bit more cautious. I believe that, but I think it's also gonna mean so much more to us when we are in these spaces together, when we mm-hmm. are consuming art together. I don't think we're gonna take it for granted for a while. I think they're gonna be really special experiences for us. And that's that's really cool.
0: Absolutely. I'm totally looking forward to the first time that I can sit down in a the theater and watch a play again.
1: Right. Oh, man. I was asking. Um, my husband is the executive producer at Second City. What? And I was like, can I Can I go to the theater and just like sit on the stage? <laughs> <laughs> I just it so much. He was like, no, then we have to yeah. put
0: it all down. Yes, yes. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'll wait. I'll wait.
0: <laughs> now, one thing that I've been asking people lately when they come on is um, in all of this, Um, It can be there's a lot of anxiety that that everybody is experiencing and there's there's so much uncertainty, but we all have those things that we're holding on to that are giving us joy. So what is the thing that is most giving you joy right now?
1: Honestly, it's that I still get to create I'm still creating comedy in this wild west of a world that we're living in. And and that's bringing me all the joy. Also, a little bit of wine and some good music, right? It never hurts.
0: Mm, does not hurt. <laughs> Carly, thank you so much. This has been a, a wonderful conversation.